You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Ancestral Elements Podcast, episode 23, Nutrition and Aging. This week, I wanted to talk about why we age, what is aging, what can be done nutritionally, to, to slow the outcome or affect aging, and if we want to. This idea of aging is one that's been pondered for probably all of humanity. There's been this lingering question on why we age, why we don't live forever, and there's been kind of a search for immortality, if you will, or to stop or reverse aging. So to dig into this a little bit, I think we need to talk about what aging actually is on a biological and physiological level. A dictionary definition of aging is just the process of growing older, which doesn't really tell you much. We all know that we get older. There's a big difference between a newborn and a 90-year-old. How do we get there, right? What changes happen in the body biologically to get us through development and to the end stages of our life. And what's the difference between the end stages of our life and the beginning stages? So I want to hit you with some terms here. The first one being biological senescence, which has to do with essentially your cells and how they replicate, grow, and then die off. Every cell does this. We know that every cell does this. And this really aims at answering why. Why do cells replicate, reproduce, grow, and then die? Every living thing that's multicellular does this and does it very regulated. Different parts of the body also age at different rates, and often different members of the same species will age at different rates. So there's quite a bit different variability that's going on just within cellular aging and the way organisms age. A good way to put this biological senescence idea into some framework is through acute wound healing. So imagine that you sliced your arm open with a knife. The first thing that would happen would be you have platelets that come in and start to plug up that gap in between your skin. That's what's known as a platelet plug formation. So it's essentially like an internal scab that starts to develop. And as that builds, it fills in that space. That's what a scab is. As that scab starts to develop, it hardens with reaction to oxygen in the air. And then your skin starts to gradually fill underneath that scab. It's like this stitching back together, this kind of lattice structure that weaves itself back together. And then over time, the scab falls off. You might end up with very, very new skin underneath, so really um, pink compared to the surrounding skin because it's brand new. Okay, This is cellular senescence. You have cells that come in, replicate, reproduce very rapidly to get that skin, to grow skin. And then you want that process to stop because if it didn't stop, you would get an overgrowth of cells, essentially a little tumor. And this is what happens as cells start to age and kind of 
wane in their health. They become susceptible to disease, susceptible to infection, susceptible to immune system abnormalities or cancers even. I mean, you definitely want wound healing to turn off. You want things to heal and you want that healing process to stop when it needs to stop. There's an interesting example of a Seattle hospital giving every patient high-dose vitamin C therapy when they essentially were admitted into the hospital for a long-term stay. Because what happens a lot of times if you have to stay in the hospital bed is you get bed sore. That's a very, very common problem where essentially you're laying on your tissue and it becomes impacted and that tissue starts to bruise over time and then it opens up because that skin gets damaged. Every nurse would tell you that bed sorts are very, very common. You have to rotate people to kind of let that healing process start and kind of engage and actually heal. What they did in Seattle, when they gave people high-dose vitamin C, they saw almost an 80% reduction in bed sores. So people just didn't get them because what vitamin C does, it's not only an antioxidant and helps the immune system, but it also starts to build collagen within the skin. And so that's just one little example of a nutritional intervention protecting this type of biological senescence. You can also see it in things like fascia and connective tissue. Think about when you were really little. You know how kids are pretty rubbery, kind of? They fall down and they just kind of seem to bounce and they don't break a lot of bones. This is because they don't have a lot of connective tissue. And what connective tissue is on a cellular level is fibroblasts. These are cells that will kind of provide structure for the bones, for musculature, for connective tissue. And they do this for support. And as you age, as you get later and later in your years, that fascia, that connective tissue, tendons, ligaments, that run through the mus musculature, that run through the skin, that run through your organs, it starts to solidify more and more, and it gets tougher and tougher. This is why flexibility wanes with age, right? Flexibility for a newborn is very, very different from flexibility for somebody who's 75 years old, right? Babies have tons of flexibility because their skeleton isn't really even established yet. They still have a lot of movement and growth within those growth plates, those epiphyseal plates that haven't really filled in yet, right? There's a lot of wiggle room, literally, in the inside their body, where we don't have that as adults. But you wouldn't want that as an adult, because you need to be able to move your body. You need to be able to stand, right? A newborn doesn't have the musculature to even stand up yet. That doesn't really serve you into adulthood. So as you go through puberty and lay down more musculature, you need that connective tissue to get stronger to support the musculature and to support more of the bone density that's being laid down. 
So as you go through puberty, it's this rapid, rapid growth of bone, muscle, connective tissue that really defines you as an adult. It takes a few years to kind of settle into the body and settle into your adult body. That's why puberty is such an interesting time for humans. Because really, you're developing your body and the size of your body and the way it's going to function for essentially the rest of your life. I mean, you wouldn't want your infant body <laughs> into adulthood. That would be a very, very bad thing. wouldn't be able to develop. And as I stated earlier, you have different DNA and epigenetic factors that play a role in aging. Some humans have the ability to seemingly age a lot slower or look a little more youthful into adulthood. Just kind of a lot of it depends on what genes are being expressed and what your family line was kind of going through. It can even happen within a single generation, a single family, if you will. You know, one sibling can look a lot older than another, and one can age a lot differently. And it's interesting when we talk about aging, I think just as a general population, we're really most of the time talking about looks. Because when people, <laughs> when people talk about aging, really what they want is an outward appearance of youthfulness. Most people in the public aren't talking about biological aging, actually being more biologically fit. Most people are getting things like Botox and collagen fillers in their face to give the illusion that they're not as old as they are. That's very different than trying to reduce or slow down or correct some biological detriments that can come with aging. I mean, it is really interesting as a culture, maybe especially as a Western culture, we are obsessed with youthful characteristics, especially as we get further into maturity. And I think that probably has largely to do with just cultural image and what's been popularized. You know, there used to be a time that elders were elevated to very important roles in society. And that's just not necessarily the case anymore. And I think that's where a lot of that kind of stems from. No one wants to get older because no one wants to feel useless. And so if you can deceive people into thinking that you're younger than you are, you still will have life ahead of you. You won't be downgraded to this old, decrepit person who gets thrown in a nursing home and largely forgotten about. It gives the illusion that you still have years and years ahead of you, which is an awful thing to even think about, that we've 
done that as a society. But that seems to be where a lot of that is coming from. And people are terrified of getting older. People are terrified of those end stages in life because we are largely disconnected to the process of death. I mean, we never see it as a culture where even 300 years ago, we saw it all the time. So, I mean, there's definitely some psychological factors playing into this, which we don't really need to get into. But it's interesting to think about why people are so concerned with looks and age-related issues that factor into looks. I mean, aging is inevitable, no matter how hard you try to fight it, biologically or just with synthetic products that make you look younger. I mean, the search of the fountain of youth, I think, oftentimes can turn into a fountain of sorrow. People get bogged down with this idea of aging. But it's important to realize that aging has an important evolutionary role. This is why we age. At least this is kind of the prevailing theory on why aging even exists in the first place. It's so that you can have selection. Because if we all looked young and the same, there would be no mate selection or reason to really choose somebody. Because that's what puberty is. It's a development into adulthood, into adult-like characteristics that allows you to select a mate. There's a reason why we're attracted to people our own age on a biological level. I mean, it really has to do with sexual reproduction and one's ability to have viability to reproduce. I mean, and think about it. If a species was able to reproduce through its entire life, then that species would be so over its carrying capacity in the environment that it would never survive. I mean, this is why reproduction wanes with every species. And if you take a broad look at species and you correlate their gestation with their reproductive viability, like in humans, we have a really long reproductive viability. And we have a relatively long gestation period. What that does is it creates opportunity for more disease, for more negative outcomes than something like a fly that has an extremely short lifespan and a very, very short gestation period and reproductive period. Flies don't die of chronic disease very often, whereas we see a lot of that in humans because there's more time. There's more time for external factors and environmental factors to play into our biology. I mean, an environment plays into our biology big time. Things like free radicals affecting our mitochondria, which mitochondria also play into aging very, very significantly. Again, I've talked a lot about mitochondria. If you want to go back and take a listen to that episode, I would recommend it. But essentially, mitochondria are powering the cell. That's what gives your cell energy to do its work, to reproduce, to develop into a new cell, to kill itself off, which is apoptosis. If you have good, strong mitochondria production, then this aging process is going to turn over in a nice, smooth way, and you're going to develop a lot less factors for significant disease as you age, because you have enough energy, cellular energy, to keep things moving along, to keep the motor kind of 
turning over smooth. And just like any other cell, there is mitochondrial senescence. So mitochondria wane as well, right? Mitochondria age. So they go through their own little death and rebirth process constantly, which is important because every cell in your body is going through a little death and a little rebirth process all of the time. Constantly things are turning over, dying and turning over. And there's a time factor to all of it. And a lot of that is just to keep our body healthy, to keep our immune system regulated. Because if you lived forever, you'd be susceptible to so many different chronic diseases and environmental toxins and buildup. Think about fish and the PCB or mercury issue that people talk about. You don't have that issue in short-lived fish, something like smelt or airing, you know, something that gets eaten by other fish. That starts to become a problem when you get fish that are living 35, 40, 50 years, right? They accumulate far more toxin in their environment that cause disease throughout the population and mutation, genetic DNA mutation that then gets passed down to the species. See, when people talk about living forever, rarely reproduction factors into that. People aren't talking about wanting to reproduce forever, because if they did, they would pass down an onslaught of genetic mutations that would probably be very, very damaging to future generations and to the species at large. So this quest for living forever is, in my opinion, a bit of a pipe dream. It's not biologically really feasible. Now, there are interventions you can do nutritionally, and even some through medication, which we'll go into further detail about later on, but it's important to understand what aging actually is and why it's in the evolutionary framework to even begin with. So now that we've addressed that, I want to move on to nutrition and how that factors into how you age. All right, so let's jump into this idea of oxidation or getting enough antioxidants to fight free radical aging in your body. And you'll hear that a lot when people talk about biological aging. A lot of that is down to the concept of free radicals and how free radicals activate these reactive oxygen species on a cellular level, and that can be damaging to the cell, and they have to die early. And when that happens, you have to get further development, and that speeds up the aging, essentially, of the cell. Right? So the more free radicals you have, the faster you essentially age, in a nutshell. It's not quite that simple, but I'm painting with broad brushstrokes here. And that's kind of what you see. In a younger population, population, you see less free radical damage on a cellular level. In an older population, you see more of that react reactive oxygen species and oxidative cellular damage. And that really kind of induces aging. Again, that ties very significantly into the mitochondria and how those react. Because again, that's powering what your cell does. That's the battery pack that keeps everything alive and functioning. And so if those get damaged early, then your cells essentially slow down and they become susceptible to genetic change. 
Okay, and that induces aging. So when looking at a nutritional approach to aging or anti-aging, if you will, people often go to antioxidants. Things like resveratrol is looked at a lot in laboratory settings for this really high potency antioxidant that seems to have a decent effect at kind of slowing down biological aging. And you can see biological aging through what's called your telomeres. They're the little end tails of your DNA. They kind of, as your DNA replicates, those telomeres get shorter and shorter. They're, they get snipped off because they're little bridges, essentially, that kind of link together your DNA strand. So the longer the telomeres, technically speaking, the less biological age you have. Now, that's not exactly true. Again, I'm generalizing here, but there is some truth to it. It can change rapidly. If you give up a lot of the extreme antioxidant approach, those telomeres will dramatically be shortened, basically back to your sustainable biological age. In other words, if you kind of give up on anti-aging therapies and such, then it'll almost speed up naturally your aging process to where you kind of would have been. Again, that's a big generalization, but that seems to be relatively true in most people. I mean, environmental stress and internal stress factor into aging hugely as well. Think about cigarette smoking. There's a reason why people look 10, 15 years older if they constantly smoke, because they're getting a lot of extra free radical damage. And eventually, it shows up in the skin, because that's the last place to receive nutrition, or the last place that your body has to kind of rebuild and repair. You'll see it. You'll become biologically older than you should be if you're continually putting in a lot of free radicals into your body that impair cellular function because the cells can only do so much. And if they're constantly having to repair themselves due to damage, then your aging kind of has to take a back seat. I mean, it essentially speeds up the aging process. So there's this idea of speeding it up and slowing it down. Right? You can always do that through lifestyle and nutrition factors. Also, chronic disease plays a really, really important role in aging. I'll give you the example of diabetes. So, diabetes, let's just take type 2 diabetes, because that is a lifestyle disease that can be controlled. And we've all heard stories of diabetes that isn't controlled. Right? You end up with neuropathy, which is nerve damage. A lot of times that happens in the feet, and that's due to high glucose levels in the blood and an impaired function of the pancreas. And eventually, that tissue can become so impacted and so compressed vascularly that feet need to be amputated or legs need to be amputated because that tissue has necrosis or sepsis. Necrosis is just a lack of oxygen that can really be susceptible to infection. And that happens all the time in diabetes. 
where it's unmanaged. Diabetes is interesting because it plays into the immune system significantly. Because when the pancreas is impaired, remember the pancreas has everything to do with digestion. So it creates digestive enzymes that flood into the small intestine to break down and assimilate nutrients into the blood. And if that pancreas is impaired, if it's not working properly, then that nutrient breakdown and digestion gets impaired. And what that does is it causes a disruption in the immune system because the immune system is in the gut, the majority of it, right? We've talked about how neurotransmitters are made in the gut. So oftentimes with type 2 diabetes, if it again goes unmanaged, you have neurological symptoms and problems because neurotransmitters aren't able to be created from the breakdown of that food. So when you have an impaired pancreas, there is an onslaught of issues that can go along with that because this one specific organ is being impaired. And with that will come cellular aging, not only to the pancreas, but to the rest of the systems that are affected by the impaired function of the pancreas. Right? So it's this just snowball effect of premature aging when it comes to having chronic disease. Same thing in cancers, same thing in really any chronic type of issue. It's going to speed up that aging process. So the better your nutrition, the more antioxidants you can keep coming in, the more balanced you can keep your diet, the more protective it's going to be for your organs and for your body. This is how nutrition coincides with aging because it just kind of smooths out. It levels out these weird spikes that your cells have to battle with in the body, right? Your cells just want to do their job. They don't want to have to deal with a bunch of stuff going on around them. It would kind of be like if you were a gardener. It would be a lot different if you were gardening let's say, in a war zone with bombs exploding all around you, you would want to have to kind of deal with that issue before you could get to your gardening issue, right? It's the same thing cellularly. If you have bombs going off everywhere, your cells need to deal with that and clean all that stuff up before they can do their job. So what I'm getting at is there's a natural, inevitable process to aging, right? Every cell ages. You just don't want to speed up that process with bad nutrition, bad environmental decisions, bad things you're putting into your body. You want that process to unfold naturally or as naturally as it can. And it's interesting because last episode I talked about Hippocrates and the father of our medicine dying at the age of 90 years old with no medication, <laughs> right? It's rare that we do that in this day and age. It's rare that we live to 90 with zero medication. Hippocrates was lucky enough to live in a time where A, there was no medication to be on, and B, he had the ability to regulate his body through nutrition and through environment. And there was a lot less environmental toxins around and a lot less environmental stressors around to accelerate his aging. You see what I'm getting at? There's a big difference between artificially accelerated aging and natural aging. And one of the top kind of aging experts in the field of prolonging life, really, they're looking at very basic things. Synthetic laboratory-derived substances, resveratrol, 
for example, that is found in things like wine and high antioxidant pigmented fruits. Okay, They take resveratrol that they put people on and a diabetes drug, interestingly enough, called metformin. Metformin essentially pumps insulin through your body, which alleviates the spike in glucose, which again, through the pancreas and regulation of the pancreas, controls the immune system and the inflammation and cytokine response that the immune system will regulate. So metformin essentially is a bit of an immunosuppressant in that way. And it blocks receptors. It blocks certain key aging receptors that seem to slow down aging. Now, there's pretty significant side effects associated with metformin. If you're working out hard and causing stressors in your body, cellular stressors, it will actually speed up your aging and be extremely detrimental to your health. So it works well if you're sedentary and don't exercise and you're taking it, but it is terrible for you if you're actually exercising and being physical. It's way worse. So there's major, major trade-offs when it comes to looking at controlling aging through medication and through very synthesized processes. It doesn't work that way unless you just want to be a couch potato and sit there and do nothing with your life, which personally I would not want to do that, but people do that. And it's really important to look at the evolutionary trade-offs when it comes to things that could potentially increase your longevity and maybe number of years to your life, because there's always going to be trade-off. Because naturally, evolutionarily, the longer you live, the bigger opportunity there is to develop some type of genetic abnormalities due to disease. You don't want to be really reproductively active, especially as a woman at, let's say, 80 years old. That's why women go through menopause. That's a biological senescence that's programmed into your body so that you stop reproducing before you can pass down huge genetic variation. And the reason I'm talking about women here isn't because I don't think that women should be able to reproduce late into their life. It'd be great if they could. But there's a key difference between men and women here. The reason men can produce so late into their life is because they're not passing down any type of mitochondrial DNA. Only women do that. And that's where major cellular change on a DNA level can go wrong. And if that happens, if you have really bad mitochondrial DNA that you're passing down, that child is going to be set up to have really, really weak cellular energy. And that opens that kid up for an onslaught of a major, major pathologies down the road. Now, mutations still happen, and it happens often, but usually those are to non-coding areas of the DNA that have no effect on your outcome. As you age, there's potential to pass down way more of those genetic abnormalities that will be on the coding section of your DNA and will cause a lot of birth defect. That's why there's hesitancy to have kids late into your reproductive years 
at 45, your, your chances of passing down genetic variability that's going to affect your offspring rise dramatically. That's just because you've had more time to accumulate slight variations due to lifestyle, due to environment, due to nutrition. Those are the main kind of three drivers that aging is kind of up against. Now, obviously, people at 45 years old can still have kids with no problems, but it really depends on if they have a genetic history of disease in their family, how well they've been taking care of themselves, and how well they've been managing their stress throughout their life. Don't forget that aging isn't a bad thing. It's an absolutely necessary thing. You need to age. I mean, you again, you don't want to stay a newborn forever. That's not productive. That would be detrimental into adulthood. The difference between biological aging or biological senescence and just trying to look good later in your years is very, very different. Again, the anti-aging industry, and there is an industry around this, is almost solely focused on your outward appearance. You're almost solely focused on just maintaining neoteny, maintaining youthful-like characteristics into adulthood. They could pretty much care less about your actual biological age because that is infinitely complicated. And as I laid out, it doesn't work that well practically with medications and synthesized reductionist approaches from laboratories. It's just not natural. You're literally fighting biology, and we're just not good at doing that as a human species. It's okay to age. You should be aging. If you're not growing, then essentially you're stunted. It's a normal process and a highly biological and regulated process that needs to be happening for actual health. You know, I don't think a lot of people really realize that aging is a process to keep you healthy. I mean, that is the ultimate goal of aging. It's to keep you healthy throughout your life. And I guess if you want, you know, you could throw botulism in your face, which is what Botox is. You know, you're putting, you're literally injecting toxin into your skin to tighten it, you know? And if that's the direction you want to go, I mean, that's up to you. I mean, I don't care. But it's an interesting thing to do, to just keep youth-like characteristic. It's a weird thing that we do in society. I mean, because let's be honest, no one would respect a 60-year-old that acted like a 12-year-old, right? No one wants to revert back to a 12-year-old at 60 years old. No one wants to look like a 12-year-old at 60 years old. I wouldn't assume so anymore. Maybe some people do. You gain wisdom. You gain experience in growing older. That is what growing older is. You're biologically inclined to do that. Your cells gain wisdom. Your biology gains wisdom and memory. Don't forget, you have cellular memory built into your biology that gets better and better the older you grow. That's the thing about not only epigenetics and passing down genetic memory to future generations, but your immune system has memory. You literally have built-in memory into your immune system. Again, that's a process of cellular senescence. That's a process of getting older. 
Without that, you're far more susceptible. The reason we age is to stay healthy into the late stages of our life until we no longer exist. So to me, chasing this idea of fountain of youth is kind of not that practical. What are you, what are you trying to do? Are you just trying to look younger or are you trying to actually become younger and how much younger, right? I mean, on average, these breakthroughs in anti-aging, they don't actually increase your life that long. Maybe one or two years, you know? It's like big whoop. You could do that with a better lifestyle and better nutrition. Don't forget why we age, I guess is what I'm getting at here. There's a reason for it. It's always been there. It's always going to be here. And it's not a trend you can just buck. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And if you do or try to do that, you're going to have massive trade-off. There's going to be consequences. And I guess that's the only thing to keep in mind is if you do travel down that road, there's going to be massive consequences to that. It could be detrimental disease and pathology, or it could be not being able to move your face because of Botox. <laughs> I mean, take your pick, I guess. But it's okay to age. It really is. And you can affect it greatly with lifestyle and nutrition. Again, if you approach this from a nutrition standpoint, getting good solid antioxidants at the right time of year, so good seasonal eating, again, darker pigmented fruit, should be eaten when the UV is most intense in your atmosphere, so late summer typically, because those fruits pick up that UV light and they convert it, and then you eat that fruit and you get protection from that UV, and you get protection from that free radical damage that that UV can bring from prolonged exposure. Medicinal mushrooms can be great antioxidants. Again, things like chaga mushroom is fantastic. The most robust antioxidant on the planet. If you're looking for antioxidant power, those are the things to go to. They keep your immune system regulated and healthy, and they keep free radical damage to a minimum. You're always going to have free radical damage to some extent. That's just how it goes. But if you can keep, again, if you keep that kind of smoothed out and regulated, you're going to age a lot more naturally, and you're not going to have these giant spikes and troughs of the cells having to do a bunch of cleanup and reproduction, keeping good, balanced, varied species in your diet. Again, from all five kingdoms, and varied species within those five kingdoms, plant, animal, fungi, protist, bacteria. If you can keep diverse species with all five kingdoms of life, your body will be balanced and your cells are going to be able to deal with an onslaught of environmental damage, toxins, you name it, because it's going to have enough energy and nutrients to supply biological regulation on a cellular level. And stay tuned for some more detailed information. I'm going to do a part two this next week on developmental nutrition, and I'm going to get into the nitty-gritty kind of details of adequate nutrition from infancy to end stages of life. So once again, thank you for listening to another episode. I will talk to you guys next week. Stay well, stay healthy.
Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners.